0: So I wanted to go back to, we spoke last week about kindness and we spoke about kindness that the key to kindness is understanding what the other person lacks, right? If I truly want to be a person of kindness, I need to get out of myself to start thinking and identifying what the other person needs. That is a definition of kindness. Kindness is not when I say, oh, I want to volunteer because it makes me feel good. Or I, I can only volunteer between these hours because of these, these are the times that, but maybe that's not the time that they need you. So we have to understand that kindness doesn't circle around us. Kindness circles around the recipient. What does the recipient need? If the recipient needs a hug and I don't give them that hug, uh, let me give you an example. So we mentioned last week that the Torah says that you should give the poor person deimach so ro. Now, what is, the, what is, what is a, a poor person? A poor person is very, very unique because one per, per, poor person could be a person who never had anything. Another poor person could be someone who was a very wealthy person once. They both have very different standards. The person who was always poor, okay, so all he needs is his bread and his water. But the person who was once wealthy, who used to have a mansion, who used to have a, a, a Bentley, who used to have a chauffeur, who used to eat the fancy restaurants for him, it's a much bigger embarrassment that he has to take the metro, right? And we understand that. So what, what our sages teach us is that kindness is, sub, is subjective to the individual depending on where the individual comes from and what their norms are, is what we are required to provide, provide for them when we talk about kindness. Very important principle we see in Judaism. We need to always understand who it is that we're helping. Well, we can always say, you know something, it's not my business that you were once a wealthy person. I'm not buying you a Bentley. Here's what Rashi says. The great commentator Rashi teaches us and says that the responsibility of kindness is that even if we have to provide for him the servants to run before a horse in front of him, right? That is the kindness we need to do. And we think to ourselves, what do you mean? I have to buy him a a Rolls Royce because that's what he's used to? No. That's not what you have to do. But you have to feel his pain. You have to understand at least where he's coming from. And that's what our sages require us. Our sages require us to take the time to understand this person's loss. And even though we may say, well, you know, what he lost is not a big deal. That's most people don't even have that. I know, but it's still for him a very serious lacking. Understand? For him, it's a very serious lacking. For him, every time he has to get on that metro, and not have his own chauffeur drive him is the most humiliating experience. What is kindness? Kindness is trying to understand the other person's lacking. Every single one of us here has a lacking. It could be a compliment. We need something uh, for our car. We need something for our house. We need something for, you know, whatever it is. If we were true people of kindness, we would investigate what it is that they need. We may not be able to provide it, but at least let's understand. My grandfather did a, a workshop on this with his students. And he said, I want you several times a day for the next week, till we meet next week. My grandfather charged his students, I want you to identify the lackings of your fellow. This is in yeshiva, in the yeshiva they were in. I think it was three to five times a day to just think about another person. What are their lackings? The guys came back a week later, couldn't do it. So difficult to get out of yourself. Stop thinking about yourself to only think about the other person, about what they need. Anybody who's in a relationship knows that. Anybody who's in a committed uh, relationship of marriage or engaged, has someone that they're married or engaged to that is needing of something. Identify what that need is. What is that need? And it's not an easy thing. It's a very difficult task. Identify the lacking of the other person. I know what I'm lacking. I know when I'm tired. I know when I'm thirsty. I know when I'm hungry. I I know myself. Do I know my fellow? So women have a special gift with this, much better than men, right? The, the, the Talmud tells us that women understand their guests. Women understand their guests, right? They have an intuition to the lackings of other people, right? They have with children, right? Women understand when they're thirsty, when they're hungry. When, it, it's an amazing thing. I remember once when I was um, one of my children. I was I was with my children. My wife was out. And I was getting very frustrated because one of my children was crying. One of my children, who was supposed to be sleeping, was crying. And I anything I tried, I checked the diaper, diaper was fine. Everything I tried wasn't what they wanted. So I called my wife reluctantly, well, "Can you help me out? Give me some clues here what, how, what? She says, "For sure, she can hear. Thirsty." She can hear from the cry, the baby was thirsty. Like really of all things. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to think of that, right? But that's a mother's intuition. That's a mother's nature of understanding the needs of their children. And that's what we need to learn from. You know, when the Torah, when the, in the beginning of the Torah, what did the serpent tell Chava? What did the serpent tell Eve? Why don't we be God-like creators of worlds? Let's become God-like. Let's let's become creators of worlds. That, That was the goal. Let's be godlike as much as we can. Now, he was mistaken with the method of how to do that. It wasn't through eating from the tree, it was through acts of kindness. The, the Torah says, right, something we learned from, from Psalms 89 Olam chesed yibaneh. The world is created through kindness. The whole world that we have all around us, created by the Almighty kindness 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 there's nothing but kindness in our world okay abraham was the first to understand this abraham's key trait was kindness he understood if you want to be godlike if you want to be a creator of worlds you need to have kindness that is the key it's the most remarkable trait to get out of ourselves to get we're so self-absorbed we're In our culture we're in today, think about it for a second. We're such a self-absorbed culture in ourselves. We're, We're selfish. All people care about is their own selves. Think about it. I need to have my coffee exactly like this with two pumps of cinnamon and three pumps of chocolate and like this and like that. And if you miss one little drop, throw it back in their face. How dare you give me my coffee not exactly the way I want it? Right, it's just the Starbucks world, right? Of everything is customized. Everything needs to be my way. So I know what I need, I know what I want. But what's going to propel me to get into the mind of someone else? What do they need now? When a guest comes into into our house, right? Men are guilty of this. Women are not as guilty of this, right? Men can sit with their friends in the house for twenty minutes, a half hour, two hours. Wife comes home, and she says, one second, would you like to drink something? For a second, she walks in the house, you want to drink something? He know, from him a drink. Right? Men don't have that intuition. It's something that needs to be learned and trained to understand the importance of seeing the needs of another person. You know, it's amazing because in, in, in our prayers, one of the things that we say, we say, God of Abraham, God of Isaac. God of Jacob, Our sages tell us, God of Abraham, who connected through kindness to the Almighty, he had his own unique way. What was that unique way? Kindness. He says, one second. God helps me, gives me indiscriminately. He gives me whatever I need, whatever I want. Perhaps I, if I want to be God-like, I have to do that for others. So he didn't give a check. At the front of his tent, saying, So, so who who are you? Ah, are you, you're not Jewish. You're not you're not a Hebrew. Okay, you can continue. There's a hotel down the road. No. If I want to be Godlike, I have to have a tent that's open on all four sides. Everybody come in. Break all barriers. Let's go. Come inside because what I need to do in order to be godlike is to be a giver without deciding who deserves, who's like me, who's not like me. I'll give you another example. We talk about generosity. We talk about becoming a giver, a donor, donating to our synagogues, donating to great institutions, right? So many times, what is the calculation that people are making as to who they should give to? Well, what do I benefit? If I benefit, if I have a child who benefits from that institution, then I feel indebted. I feel like I have to, right? But we have to think for a second. Is that true kindness? Is that true charity? If I'm only giving because I benefit, so I'm just paying them. Would kindness potentially be I'm giving because I don't benefit? I don't benefit and I'm giving because you need, not because it comes back to pay me. It comes back to benefit me. Not because it's my synagogue and I enjoy the rabbi's sermons. So I'll give a donation in honor of the rabbi. How about I give to something something else that I don't benefit from? No, I want it to be committed only. I want the synagogue to write me a note that it was dedicated to this and this project because this is my favorite project that I enjoy. How about to give to somebody else's project that they enjoy that I have zero benefit from? It's such a, 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 an important fundamental trait when we talk about kindness to understand the, the importance of getting out of ourselves, getting out of our own head, getting out of our own needs that we're so easy to identify with and get into the head of someone else. What do they need? What are they lacking? You want to be godlike? you want to be a creator of of worlds, that's kindness, true kindness. True kindness doesn't mean that I get payback. Oh, I'm willing to volunteer only between this and this hour. Is that, is that real kindness, right? Maybe you don't need my help then, right? You don't need my help then. I have this challenge every once in a while because I, I don't really don't know what to do. So I have every once in a while people, drop off books at the torch center. Like I'm some, you know, depository of books, right? So people just drop off books. And I'm always challenged with this. Like, I don't need your books, especially not your old ones, right? That nobody's read in the past 800 years. Oh, but we want to give it to you. You need it out of your house. I understand. And you need a place to put it. So you just drop it off. And I have people do that many times. And if I'm able to find the good books that are able to be used and books that people appreciate them, we're, you know, we're always very grateful regardless that people think of us, but is that true kindness? Or is that I found the sucker who's going to take in my, my, my old books that I want to get rid of because I need to clear out the shelves for my new, uh, for my new series of uh, Harry Potter or whatever book it is. Right. Do you understand Is it because of me or is it because of you? Oh, one second. I could call up the rabbi and say, you know what? I'm looking to buy some books for you because I really like your teachings. What do you need? That's a whole different story. I actually had a guy call me up. He says to me, Rabbi, you know, one of the things that I love doing is I love buying books for institutions. He says, tell me whatever books you want and I'm sending them to you. It's true. He says, "I like to have a part in a in a, a Torah institution having good, uh, relevant Torah books. Tell me what you need, and I'll ship it to your to your to your institution." The person doesn't even live in Houston. The person I've never even met, but he knows the work that we do, and he wants a part in it. Right? And that's something that's passionate to him. Right? It's it's it's, it's, it's his passion. It's his passion is to is books. Okay. Again, we're, we're not, I want to make, make it clear, just a disclaimer. We're not here to try to tell people what is and what isn't kindness. That's not the job. That's not the, the goal is to understand the responsibility of all of us that when we are engaging in this mida, in this trait of kindness, that we apply true kindness. But when we're trying to train in the, in the training ground of, of kindness, so, uh, so here's the way the way we we typically advise. Okay, in the world of of Musar study. Okay, strengthen what you're good at. Okay, I'll give you an example. So, if you hire a trainer when you work out, okay, you're hiring a trainer, physical trainer. So, the trainer will first, hopefully, if they do their job correctly, will first analyze what it is that you do, how your movements of your body are, and so on and so forth. And see, so you know what? You have good upper body strength. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your upper body strength and we're going to use it to strengthen the other parts of your body. They're not as strong. Okay. But if I say, listen, you're doing it all wrong. Okay. Here's what you need to do, right? You're not going to be sticking around with this trainer for a long time. You have to utilize the strengths to help fix the parts that you're weak at. Yes. We start with the things that we're strong at, the things that we enjoy doing. I want to give you, I want to share with you my own personal my own personal lesson of this. I've shared this before in one of the other classes. I think it's important for me because this was a real breaking point in my own spiritual growth and my own kindness growth. I moved to Israel when I was 15 years old. And I I, uh, was in yeshiva and totally Israeli yeshiva. I was the only American boy there. I was the only English speaking boy, right? And I come from America. I came with my own American treats. You know, today you can find everything in Israel. You know, there's not like you can find Hellman's mayonnaise. You can find anything you want in, uh, in Israel. But you couldn't find it back in the, in the early 90s, right? You didn't have, you know, the import-export as they do today. It really was, uh, you know, a, a, an opportunity. When I, when I went to yeshiva, right, I packed in my, my goodies, right, my treats from America, and I hid them in my locker, my uh, closet in my dorm. And every once in a while, I would go into my stash, you know, and uh, have a little treat. Okay. And then I started learning about kindness and become what it means to become a giver. And I said, I'm everything but that. I'm everything but that. You know, I look in the hallway, there's nobody here, coast is clear, and I can enjoy my snacks. Right? I said, that's not what giving is. So I made myself a policy and a rule that I don't allow myself to enjoy my own snacks unless I give to two people first. So I'd go into the hallway and I'd see two guys, I'd call them in and they're like, what, what do you want? I'm like, just come here a second, right? They'd come to me and like, what, what do you want? What do you want? Like, you know? I would like, say, I would open up my, clo- my, my closet in my, in my room and they would see all these things I'm like, whoa, right? I'd say, here, have some, right? And they would, they would have, And only then I would be able to take for myself was for me. That's the way I was able to break myself out of that selfish mode. I only for myself and let me start giving to others first. And it, what happened was is that I felt a complete transformation in myself where I only wanted to enjoy from something after other people enjoyed from it. As a parent it helped me years later, where I realized, you know what, before I drink, let me make sure my children have what to drink. Before I eat, let me make sure my children are fed. By the way, Halacha says this, by the way. Halacha says that if you have a pet, you're obligated to feed your pet. Feed your pet before you feed yourself. Well, people are ready to do that for their pets, but not always before their their family. One of the great Jewish leaders, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach, passed away in the 90s as well, when I was in yeshiva there that first year. Second year I was there. He was known that when he was growing up, he many, many, many times missed meals because his family was very poor. They were a, a Jerusalem family, you know, before the establishment of the state of Israel. They were very, very poor. They, they, you know, food was very rare commodity. And, you know, he had skipped... Eating so that his siblings would eat. So that they'll have what to eat. Me, he stayed and sat and learned longer. He sat and learned more. He says, I'm being fed by the Torah. Right? But now, I don't recommend you do this, try this at home. Right? The, The idea was that he was willing to give up of himself for someone else. To completely be selfless. Right? Not only selfless when it's someone. How about... So many times we're ready to be selfless for our own family. But for my neighbor's child, I'm not willing to. Well, is that, is, is that true kindness? To think about that for a second. My child, I'm willing to. But my neighbor's child, but they're, they're not needy. I don't have a mitzvah of kindness to them. Okay, so I'm, I'm telling you, if you sit outside your house and you see people walking the streets still in lockdown, I have this every Shabbos. I have a great privilege, you know. Right in front of my house is like Grand Central Station here in our neighborhood. People are walking by with their with their families. Right, everybody needs something. And we have to identify that everybody needs something. One person needs a word of encouragement. One person needs a warm welcome and good Shabbos. Do you want something to drink? Your mailman. I see many people do this, so we started doing this. We put a cold water bottle in the mailbox right, a cold water bottle in the mailbox, so that the mailman can feel appreciated. You know what, it's just, it's so hot, it gets so hot some days, and so humid, right? Perhaps we can think about other people in a way that's unique and special. What can we do for someone else? Think about how we get out of this, this wall that's locked up. I know what I need, I know what I want, I know when I want to drink again, I know when I want to eat, I know when I'm hungry. I know when I need need the restroom. I know what I need. But do I know what, what someone else needs? Am I able to get out of myself to help another person? That is something unique and special. That's true kindness. Okay? Kindness is not talking about a token charity to a poor person at the street corner. Right? That's the same conscience we all struggle with. Okay, so you go to the street corner. My opinion, people have asked me about this many, many times. My opinion is the worst thing to do is to give them money. The, wor- the absolute worst thing you can possibly do for these people is to give them money. So what do we do? I want to do an act of kindness. Give them a granola bar. Give them something they can eat. Don't give them the same thing that got them to where they are, which is a bad decision with money. That instead of instead of buying it to buy food and nutritious things, they bought another bottle of beer. Don't enable them to make the same exact mistake that got them to their place to begin with. OK, that's my opinion. Right, I could be wrong. I'm open to discussion about that. I always try to have a like a granola bar to have a, something, a nutrition bar that I can give them. Right. I, you're hungry. Let me give you something to eat. Let me give you something that will actually feed you. To give you $5 will just mean that instead of buying that granola bar yourself, you'll be buying another beer and be there for another day and another day. I don't believe that that's the act of kindness that's required upon a person. All right? I I may have said this story in this class uh, a while back, but my my rabbi told me an incredible story. So he was once driving on on the New York State Thruway. And he sees a guy, looks like a Jewish guy as he's you know driving by, a guy with his hazard lights on with a yarmulke. So he takes the exit, makes a U-turn, comes back around, and stops to help the individual. Goes to him, says, What's going on? He sees him under his hood, helps him as he's you know working on, on his on this on this individual's car. He realizes this guy doesn't look Jewish. I mean, he's Chinese, right? He looks completely Asian, but he has a yarmulke on his head. So after he's done helping him, he gets the car started again, whatever was needed. He says to him, sir, if you don't mind me asking, are you Jewish? He says, no, I'm not Jewish. She so says, so what, what's, what's with the yarmulke? He says, when I came to America, the dealership, when I bought the car, they said, listen, if you're in New York or New Jersey and you get <laughs> on the side of the road, you have to have a Jew cap. You have to have a yarmulke in your glove compartment, put it on a jewel stop for you right away. All right? He says, they did it. It was magic, right? He says, I put my yarmulke on my head, and boom, you stopped for me, and you, you helped me out, right? It's true that we, we, we are very kind. We're very kind people. But we have to remember not to be the chasida. You know what the chasida was? The chasida is the bird that's not kosher. Why is it chasida? It's called the chasida. Chasida from the term of chesed because it does kindness. Because our sages tell us it does kindness only with its kind. If you're from my family, I'll help you. If you're not from my family, go, go, go find someone else to help you. That's not true kindness. That's truth. Right? That's not true kindness. You help everybody. Right, so we have to keep that in mind. But I want to share with you something else. You know, what's if someone is too embarrassed to receive charity? Have a dignity. Me, take a handout from someone else unbecoming. I don't want to come to somebody else to ask somebody else for for charity, for, you know. So the Torah tells us give it as a loan according to his lacking. What does it mean according to his lacking? Because there's no norms. There's no norms. I want to tell you an amazing thing that the rabbi said in shul on on Shavuot. We had a social distancing minion in shul. Um, I wear my mask. I wear my my beautiful torch mask uh, wherever I go. Anybody who wants a torch mask, reach out to me after class. I'll happily send you one to your home. We got beautiful masks emblazoned with the torch logo. And we're getting more uh, produced this week, God willing. Here's what, what the rabbi said. The rabbi said in this week's, in what we read in the, in the reading of, of Shavuot, the Torah reading, we read about Shemitat Mamon, about the Shemitah. The Shemitah is the sabbatical year. We know what happens in the fields. What happens in the fields? So you don't work your field on the seventh year. You don't work your field. Okay. And what happens with your field? There's a promise given in the Torah. A promise given in the Torah that God will will give you a triple crop in the sixth year. For the sixth year, for the seventh year where you don't work it, and for the eighth year where the previous year you didn't work it, and now you're catching up. Okay? So you get a triple crop guaranteed by the Almighty. That's pretty generous, right? But it's very difficult. It's not an easy mitzvah to observe. You know why? Because you need to be completely 100% relying and trusting on Hashem. And we don't like doing that. As human beings, we like to be self-sufficient, right? I have my, my insurance policy, and I have my financial security, and I don't like to rely on anybody, particularly not someone I don't even know, Maybe, maybe not. Will he provide? Is he able to provide? Right? It's a a struggle that we all struggle with. So that's the sabbatical of the field. There's another sabbatical, and it's called sabbatical of money. And that is as follows. Let's say the sabbatical year is coming up. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's about to be Rosh Hashanah. And your friend comes over to you and says, you know, Uncle Lenny, can I borrow $1,000? Okay? So... You lend them $1,000, okay? The Torah commands us a very difficult mitzvah. That comes that Rosh Hashanah. It's the sabbatical. You have to go over to him and say, uh, Mr. Joe, I want you to know something. You're not allowed to pay me back. Why? You're not allowed to pay me back. You have to go over to him and tell him, you're not allowed to pay me back. You know why you're not allowed? Because there's a mitzvah in the Torah for me to not... To not get my money back because Shemitah clears the accounts. Clears the accounts now. You're not even allowed to knowing. One second, Rosh Hashanah is coming up in two weeks. If I don't, if I lend you money, I'm going to lose my thousand dollars. Right? You're not allowed to not lend him money. God is forcing us to loan money we know we'll never get back. And not only we never get back, we're not allowed to ask for it back. We have to inform them that we're not going to be. Accepting their money in return. What? Why? There's a number of reasons. Right. The first is every seventh year is a reboot. Everyone gets a fresh start again. Right. Everyone gets a fresh start. Everyone has an opportunity every seven years to reestablish their financial situation, their own financial status. Right. So it's it's a new beginning, but it's something more than that. Do you think if you loan that money? that God doesn't know about it? You think God doesn't know about it? You think God doesn't know how to pay you back that $1,000? Do you think only Joe that you lent the money to is the only one who knows how to pay it back? That is an exercise in our emunah, in our knowledge of Hashem and our bitachon, our trust in Hashem, where Hashem tells us, don't worry about going to Joe for the money. I've got you covered, right? It's once every seven years where Hashem says, remember who's really in charge. You have a mitzvah to yeah. loan money to someone. You loan that money to him. You give them the money that, they, that they're requesting. So businesses, so Hillel, the great Hillel, who uh, is one of, the, one of the great characters of the Talmud, Hillel made something called a prusbal. Prusbal is a rabbinic document that allows for the loan to continue past Shemitah. Why? Because for business, like you're saying, I'm not going to lend you $100 million for you to develop a new piece of property, right, in downtown Manhattan. If I know, I'll never get that money back. So because of that, what, what they did was they instituted this prusible. And what this Perusbul does is that it is a rabbinic allowance, so to speak, for that loan to be carried over the Shemitah year. But it's only for business purposes. After the rabbi said that, I was like, you know what? That would be so cool if someone came to me and asked me for a loan right before Shemitah. And then I, I would love to have that mitzvah, that opportunity. I want it to be like a rear number, like $123, you know, like a real uh, and 45 cents. You know what I mean? Like lend them that money. And I want to see it come back. I want to see where it comes back from. It really is remarkable. It, it is absolutely remarkable. Because we think, you know what, everything, I'll tell you, we had an an amazing story. My wife is a really incredible woman. So let me tell you something about my wife, okay? So she had a store, she had a business that she started a little bit after we moved to Houston. So almost 15 years ago. It was a paper goods store went very well. We put together, so we, you know, collected our savings and we, you know, bought the inventory and slowly that, you know, you know, little amount of money really started growing and she put everything back into the business and she grew more inventory, more inventory, more products, more things. And it went from, you know, a few thousand dollars to, you know, to, to, you know, it grew exponentially, you know, to probably 10 times the amount or more. Okay. After a couple of years, my wife was really getting tired of, getting deliveries every every couple of days, shipments of more and more pallets of, of goods. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, all, it's very tiring. And she was, she was pregnant and it was like, you know, schlepping boxes. I'll do all this, try to do as much schlepping as possible and unpacking things. And, you know, it's, many of the synagogues bought everything that they use for kiddush. It save money by buying it through her instead of having someone schlep out to Sam's Club or this. You know, it was it was a great service to the Jewish community And, you know, for her, it was was a profitable uh, enterprise. Okay. But she got tired of it. She wanted to sell it. So we found a buyer. And um, we put together a contract. We had a legal contract put together by an attorney. And, you know, it was structured in a way that they can, you know, start making money and paying back the sale price. It was an amazing thing. Came the first date of payment. And nothing came. And the second date of payment, and nothing came. And the third date of payment, and I would—I I met the person, I met the individual, I asked them, You know, it's like yeah, I'm just, i am don't want to pressure you, and I don't want. But you know, already a couple of uh, payment dates have passed. Is you know what's what's going on? Well, he I mean, was wasn't in a good mood. You know, it's like, and we have a legal document, right? This good person owes us, and it's a lot of money. This is you know so we can pay back loans or debts or things like that. So what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? The person bought the business. turned out that the person ended up selling all of the goods for cash and left town. So we can take them to court, right? And we can, you know, hold the lien against their house or something. We can do all of that. Or we can say, Hashem has enough money. And Hashem knows what we're, what's coming to us. And leave it to Hashem and let him figure it out. So what happened was, is an amazing thing. My wife said, you know what? Let's do that. We trust in Hashem more than we trust this person, obviously. Right? So we can either, you know, be angry and, and feel like we were taken advantage of and someone robbed us of a lot of money. Or we could say, Hashem will take care of it. Okay? So we decided we're not going to even pursue anything with this individual. We trust that Hashem will, we're accepting this with love. If Hashem wanted us to lose it, we'll lose it. And if Hashem wants to repay us, he has his ways. few short days later, I get a phone call from someone who ran a, had a business in New York and he needed now, he was expanding his business to Texas, but he didn't have a physical address yet, you know, and he wanted me to just set up a, a company on my home address. And he said, listen, I will, I will give you 10% of the earnings You know, till I'm able to get my office established, until everything. And I'm telling you, I did the math. I calculated it. The amount of money that we made from that new enterprise was exactly, exactly the amount of money the sale of the business was going to be. To the dollar, including the taxes. Every single dollar. The Almighty, blessed be he paid us back. Right. And it it really is unbelievable. Every single penny that was supposed to be given to us through the sale. And it was given to us the last time as a free total gift from the almighty. And as soon as that amount of money, you know, was paid back, the almighty said, okay, got what you were supposed to get. And now that person established his office already in Texas and it was, it was over. Right. Unbelievable. We think we're we're in control of everything. Hashem is telling us let go a little. Let go a little. I've got you covered. Someone comes to you to ask for a loan two weeks before the Shemitah. So the next Shemitah, I don't remember wait maybe in two or three years uh, from now, I'll look it up and I'll 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 let you know. Right. But it really is unbelievable that if we just let go and put our our ourselves in the hands of Hashem. Unbelievably great things come to us. Hashem is capable much more than Mr. Joe that you loan the money to. Right? Hashem is much more capable of taking care of us than anyone else on planet Earth. Okay? So, when we talk about giving to another person, what Hashem wants us to do is not to give what I'm comfortable with giving. It's giving what they need. Give what they need. Okay? Give according to their lacking. Right. And if a person is too embarrassed to take charity, give it as a loan. Right. Give it as a loan. And that's part of your act of kindness. The Torah tells us give it as a loan because as a loan. Right. I'm willing to take out a loan. I'll pay it back even though, you know, they can't give it back. Right. Give it as a loan and don't ask for it back. That's the greatest form because you're giving it in a way that's meaningful to them, a way that's dignified for them. To become a person of kindness, a builder of worlds, we need to learn to see, to hear, and to understand what the other lacks. And it's customized for each individual. Okay, great. So we we gave the example before: a wealthy man leaves a luxury home to a simple small apartment where they leave their gold and silver to a, a life where they have where they have nothing, right? But leaving his car okay, to leave his car, to start going with public transportation, that's humili- humiliating for him, right? That's humiliating. I can, I can live without the gold and silver. I can live without the fancy house, but they have to go on public transportation. You understand? Un- identify what it is for that person that they need, just so that they can have a dignity, right? It's extremely difficult, right? This is their true lacking. Right now we can just say, you know, why don't you be a mature adult and grow up and grow up so you don't need it anymore. Right. You had it. And obviously God wanted you to lose it. God is giving us an opportunity to do this mitzvah to its perfection. Okay, you understand? So we have opportunities for kindness all around us. It could be a husband, a wife, a child, a relative, a sibling. What do they need today? What is their lacking? Okay? Understanding the true lacking of another, everyone has something they may be lacking. For one person, it's money. For one person, it's work. For one person, it's advice. For one person, it's health. For one person, it's spirituality. For one person, it's friendship. For one person, it's happiness. Get into the other person's psyche. What is their need? For one person, it could just be a visit. Just come by their house and say hi. That's it they need. Every person is something else. Okay, so step one. Step one, what do I say just tell us? Step one is to learn to see the lackings or needs of, of others. That is step one, right? It's extremely challenging to see the lackings of others unless they tell it to us straight out. Tell me what you need. But people are embarrassed to tell us what they need. All right? It, it, we have to understand this is you know in a world today it's, it, it could even be easier because today, you know, you go out, you go to the supermarket, right? What the person standing next to you, a total stranger might need, is the extra security of knowing that you're being careful. That's it. That's what they might need. They might be looking for something. You see someone looking up and down, sir, can I help you? Is there something you need? I don't work here, but I know the store, I might be able to help you, right? What, what does it take to just Try to figure out what the needs of another person are, all right? This is the goal. When we talk about kindness, the goal is to figure out a way to understand the lackings of another person. Every person has lackings. Every person has something that they need. Children, like the one sitting on my lap right now, right? Every child needs something. To some, it might be a hug. To some, it might be a word of encouragement. To some, it might be an acknowledgement of an accomplishment, right? Every child needs something. And that is the responsibility of a parent to identify what those needs are. And it is no such thing. You know, one child needs a lot of encouragement and one child needs none. One child needs that physical touch and that physical contact and some children don't we have the saying that we, we got uh, started uh, over this uh, Corona uh, lockdown and we have to hug it out every day, right? With all the children, right? I asked them, did we hug it out today, right? And we have to hug it out. Every one of the children, even my little Hadassah, right? She says, Abba, we have to hug it out, right? And, and we hug it out. And the, the idea is, is that, you know what, even though we're all in close quarters, we're all locked down in the house together, Let's not forget to remember to hug each other and to embrace each other. And I can feel with my children, right? I can feel by how they hug something going on there. Okay, what's going on, All right, What's on your mind, right? They're, they're, not, they're not fully present and we try, we try to talk about it, right? But every human being has something else that they're lacking. Let's go out there, let's see the world from a different lens, not from what I need and from what I identify, what, what I know, but what does the other person lack? What does the other person need? That is true kindness. That's the kindness of building worlds, All right. So let's go out and build the world.